You do skincare in the morning? Yes. Well, I... Oh, girl, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean you do skincare in the morning? <laughs> but when do you do what? skincare? At <laughs> night. <laughs> Hi, everyone. I'm so excited to welcome you to the first episode of the Allure podcast. I'm your host, Michelle Lee, editor-in-chief of Allure. Every episode, I'll be joined by someone who's inspired me to discuss everything beauty and beyond. From representation and diversity in the media, to the importance of self-acceptance and self-care, to the latest in beauty innovations and obsessions. Stick around to hear from our first guest, Aquafina. This episode of the Allure podcast is made possible by Ulta Beauty. We've partnered with Ulta Beauty in our new series, See Yourself, See Each Other. No matter where you come from, who you love, or how you look, one thing is certain. Everyone deserves to be seen, heard, and respected. Together, we can create an inclusive space where we're free to share our truest selves and learn from one another without judgment. Learn more at allura.com forward slash see yourself, see each other. So let's get into our very first episode. We're in the midst of a major shift in culture. In recent years, there's been a palpable difference in how underrepresented voices have been portrayed on screen, in the media, and beyond. There's a new class of burgeoning talent reshaping the entertainment landscape, like Aquafina. In a relatively short span of time, Aquafina has gone from a YouTube famous rapper to starring in Ocean's 8 alongside Sandra Bullock, Kate Blanchett, and Rihanna to full world domination with Crazy Rich Asians, which became the highest grossing rom-com in 10 years and changed the way Hollywood and the world look at representation. She recently became the first Asian-American woman to host Saturday Night Live in 18 years. With every new project, Aquafina is breaking down stereotypes while empowering the next generation of talent. Today, she opens up about her meteoric rise, the importance of representation, her beauty routine, and slime. Yes, you heard it right, slime. Never a dull moment. I hope you enjoy. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm good. So the last time I saw you, I feel like it was a couple months before Crazy Rich Asians came out. Yeah, yeah. How has your life changed since then? I mean, honestly, like, my life is still the same. I mean, like, same stupid lying around, things like that. I think I saw you before we released, and I know that you've seen it before. So it was really nice to know that, like, after it came out, it, it had it got a lot of support. So that makes me, like, very, very happy because I love the movie. I think it's really, really enjoyable. Yeah. I So I've seen it twice. And I was telling you before, my daughter just bought it on iTunes. So you I'm, I'm going to watch it like five more times, I'm sure. Yes. But the two times that I saw it, I seriously ugly cried. Yeah. And it's hard to explain to people like why I felt so emotional about it. But it's like, I truly think like, one, it's just a great movie. And I think mm-hmm. I would have cried anyway. But then two, like it was sort of this thing of like seeing these beautiful Asian faces up on screen yeah. that made me realize how much that was missing from oh, my yeah, life too. 100%. Like why, why do you think... It's been such an important and emotional movie for people. What you said about representation, I think there is a reason why people feel the need to cry when they see it and a reason why people feel so much joy from it. And and I don't think that you even really need to be Asian, but for Asian people, it's it's the feeling of something that has been missing. Representation is a, is such a privilege that when you have it, you don't realize how important it is, you know? And so even for me, like I, I was in the movie and I knew exactly what was going to happen, but it was really momentous for me. And I think just in general, it makes people feel good. And 
I think that it shows Asians in a light that no one has ever seen. And a lot of a lot of people compare it to kind of like, you know, these other movies that celebrate difference. So we last year did a story on monolid makeup. And I remember putting on the cover the headline, The Monolid Chronicles. Uh-huh. And people DM'd me on Instagram to be like, I never thought in my lifetime that I would see anything yeah, like that, that I'd see awesome. the word monolid on there. Yes. And then a couple months afterwards, we had our cover where we had like the three Asian models. Yeah, and yeah. I feel like we had this like outpouring, or at least I personally did, of, of Asian women just reaching out and being like, I never thought that I would see this. Mm. Do you feel like now that the movie has come out, I can only imagine what the outpouring has been like. Are you getting stopped in the streets? Like, are people messaging you all the time? Yeah, I mean, it. it the movie had a, such a wide impact. And I think I think the most, the, the time that I most saw, like, how impactful it was, was when I saw, like, all the Halloween posts. People, like, were going in on Halloween, man. And it was flattering. Yes, of course, it was very flattering. But also, it's like, it's so cool that Asian girls get to have one more character, you know, to do. And so like, I was very, I felt very gracious of that. And yes, I think that in an industry term, the entire cast, like they're, to be a part of that, it was so incredible for them. And now all these opportunities are coming beyond the cast for Asian Americans, for Asian American actors, for Asian American writers, producers, directors, like this is, this is great. So even when I, when I saw you in, in your office, I thought that just like the idea of you, like being at this major magazine, I thought that was so cool. And so it's really cool that like you were able to put monolids and stuff like that in there. It's, it's awesome. So I think it goes, it goes both ways. It, the cycle of representation, it's a cycle, you know? So yeah. we all have to, we're all out here doing our jobs. I was mentioning before that my daughter like literally idolizes you and she's oh, like, oh my God. gosh, Aquafina. <laughs> Do you feel the weight of being a role model now. And I don't mean just for Asian Americans, but I think that there are a lot of underrepresented people who now look to you as a role model. Does that feel exciting to you or do you feel like that's scary? How do you feel about that? I mean, of course, it's scary. The pressure of being a role model or someone out there as, as a kind of a representative is very, very intimidating. But it's something that is a responsibility that you need to accept. With the opening of my movies, I started to really talk to very young girls. So there is an element of you want to be transparent in everything that you do and and that you say, because you do have a platform. So you don't want to use it to like complain about Postmates or to tear other people down. Like you want to use it to, to promote positivity and you want to use it to not be petty. So like there are things that I've had to correct about myself to the pettiness of how I tweet and things like that. <laughs> you know, I don't I don't want to turn people against things and I and I don't want my mood swings to be like dogma. So I, you know, I just there is a level of, of feeling more responsible over yeah. your words. It's hard though. Yeah. It's a balance. You do want to be real. Honestly, a little bit of pettiness is real. I know. So. <laughs> I could be super petty, dude. Yeah, super petty. In general, what are your thoughts on representation in Hollywood? Do you think that we are experiencing a time of real change now? Oh, yeah, I think we are. I think my fear for Hollywood is that you don't want Asians to come in as a trend. You don't want crazy rich Asians to be like, oh, Asians are like hot right now. So like, let's do it. And I think that's that's the fear. So you want there to be an everlasting change. And with one movie, I, I do feel it. I've heard stories about movies that were in development that were written um by Asian people that weren't cast as such. And after Crazy Rich Asians, that was, that was, you know, that was addressed. So I think people are realizing now, you know, representation affects how you're treated in real life. It affects the jokes that are being made. It affects the respect that you're given. And so, you know, with movies like this, knowing that we're out here, you do feel it, you know? Yeah. So it's great. It's a lot of who's behind the camera, who's yeah. financing it. Obviously, it's really important for us to see the Asian faces 
on the actual screen. But it is the whole like ecosystem too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sure. So I think you've talked before about rejecting roles that perpetuate Asian stereotypes. Mm -hmm. To me, when I think about the stereotypes of Asian women, it's that we're bad drivers or we're like the dragon lady or we're nerds or something. How do we combat those negative stereotypes? Is it just about presenting Asians in totally like a hundred different ways? I think the most important thing to think about when you think about Asian Americans, which is hard because we have so little representation on on screen that we have such little a way to teach people about how many kinds of Asian people we are. We're not a monolithic group in this in this country. We're all kinds from all kinds of cultures, from all kinds of states, from all kinds of regions. And I think that for me, like I the only thing that I know that I've done is that I've showed people by being myself and not knowing how to do anything else, I've shown people that we're not one and that you couldn't cast me as a dragon lady. You couldn't cast me as a ninja, you know, because I'm not limber. So, you know, like <laughs> I, I literally am what I am. And I meet so many people. It's such we're, we're such a diverse group here in America. I was just watching this one thing about the the first Asians who settled the Mississippi Delta and their the way that they speak is is like it's it's amazing. They they're American, you know? And so I think that we have to show that we're different and that we can play a romantic lead that has no racial tagline just as well as anybody else, you know? Like we don't need to not be Asian for that. When it comes to roles, less and less am I seeing the roles that really put us in a box and like are really just offensive. What really got me about those roles very early in my career was that they weren't written by Asian people. So it's like, it's really weird when like you're making fun of Asian people, putting them in stereotypical roles and you're not even Asian. Like that's, that's like ridiculous, you know? And I think that anyone would get in trouble if they were doing that. So I think now there's more of an awareness and I just haven't seen roles like that. So I, I've, I've had very little to turn down in, in the past couple of years for sure. All right. So I want to take a step backwards Mm -hmm. and talk a bit about where you came from. Yeah. So you grew up in Queens. Yeah. When you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? When I was a kid, I just wanted to be not broke. I never understood like how one became a doctor or like how one found a job or how my dad did what he did or how my grandma, you know. So I just like I honestly just wanted to be okay, you know. I didn't know I didn't know what to expect of adult life, which I think is a generational thing, too how to make ends meet. I don't know. As a kid, did you always have like the hustle? Were you always sort of like, I'm not gonna be broke because I can hustle? I was very lazy as a a kid. (laughs) But I did know that I did know that I could use I became known for my my sense of humor. What was your earliest memory of being funny? Even as a little kid? Did you know that you could make people laugh? I was doing impressions of I forget. I forget exactly what it was. But I was doing impressions in front of like, six or seven adults. And they just couldn't believe what they were seeing this, this like girl, because my voice has always been the same ever since I was little. People were like, would you smoke a lot? It's like, no, my voice, I've sounded like this. <laughs> I used to pick up the phone. They'd be like, I don't know if it's a man or a woman when I was like seven years old. <laughs> but anyway, I, I it was, you know, I, I would make adults like lose it. Do you remember what impressions you were doing? I think I did impressions of like Cartman. I would do impressions of my cousin Vinny, of like Marissa Tomei from my cousin Vinny. I was, because I loved like weird movies. I didn't do impressions of Tom Hanks from A League of Their Own. So I loved A League of Their Own. It's my favorite <laughs> movie. I could quote it. This was when I was like, for, when I was really, really young. Yeah. So, and I, and I think I, I learned that, of course, from, as a defense mechanism from, I think, losing my mom at a very young age. Not, not to deal with the loss, but to deal with how adults treated me in terms of like, just being like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, and crying, and I didn't really like that, so I think I used humor in that way, yeah. 
What was the first time you remember seeing yourself represented in media or entertainment? Even before I saw Charlie's Angels, I was obsessed with Charlie's Angels. I loved Lucy Liu. So I, I opened Saturday Night Live kind of at the, as this home homage to Lucy Liu, and I love her so much. And so I was obsessed with Charlie's Angels, and I thought it was so cool that one of the angels was Asian. I just thought it was like the coolest thing ever. But even before that, I saw Margaret Cho in her very early years doing stand-up on a, on a half-hour special on Comedy Central. It moved me. It was so impactful for me. I'd never seen an Asian woman that was so unashamed and bold, and at that point on TV with a perfect American accent. So everything that people knew or made fun of me about in school or all that, it just was canceled out with Margaret Cho, you know, and she showed me it was possible because you need it. You need to see something like that to just see that there's a small, just a small little glimpse of light. I think that people sometimes forget how impactful and influential Margaret Cho and Lucy Liu were during your your SNL monologue. That hit me also about mm-hmm. like, my God, I can't believe it's been 18 years, yeah. first of all. Yeah. Another Asian woman has hosted. Right. And then also Lucy Liu was the first Asian woman on the cover of Allure. Also wow. in that same year in 2000. It wasn't until 12 years later that then we had Olivia Munn on the cover. Right, right. Wow. It's wow. so insane that it was Lucy Liu 18 years ago. Yeah, I mean, that's why when I, when I, when I speak at like these Asian organizations and stuff, I, I really ask people like, yes, this is a great year for, for innovation and stuff, but we can't forget about the people who did it in a landscape where like, very little opportunity existed. And the opportunities that did exist, like they weren't as diverse as they are now. And even musically, like people are like, well, there's no Asians in this and no Asians in that. I grew up, my favorite bands, Blonde Redhead, Deerhoof, the Yeah, Yeah, Yeahs. I mean, these were Asian, Asian people. Being Asian wasn't a part of like their musical identity. They just were amazing musicians. So you can't forget about about people like that. You can't forget about the ones that came first because they really, they opened the road. They were out here before, you know, we're spoiled out here. So they were out here and yeah. I know you've talked about your grandmother a lot, and mm-hmm. I think you, you gave her a little shout out on SNL yeah. also. How did growing up with your grandmother influence you? I mean, grandma's kids, they have no limits. It's like being raised by, you know, a drug a drug dealer. My grandma spoiled me. She fed me until I could not eat anymore. And she completely indulged my personality. Like she, you know, whenever, never was there a joke, no matter how dirty or how, you know, horrible. She never said, that's not right. Don't, don't say that. She always laughed. And, and she really like, and, and she really like, you know, she really loved my spunk. She's, I think, by doing that, by encouraging a child that there is no limits to anything that do, they could be as crazy as they want and within reason, I guess. It really made me, it gave me a certain audacity, I think. Oh, gotta love grandmas. Gotta love grandmas. (laughs) Nothing like a grandma's love, am I right? (laughs) Ain't nothing like a grandma's love. Okay, I'm fascinated that you went to LaGuardia, which Mm -hmm. is the fame school. Yes. I'm sure everyone always asks you this, but was it like the TV show and the movie? Are people dancing in the hallways? No one's really playing the drums on a cab. No one's doing that. But it was a very special experience. I mean, some of my idols went there, you know, and it's different because you never focused on art your whole day and and half of your day is is art. It's, It's not really like the movie, but it's similar enough. Do you feel like going there prepared you for your life now? I studied like classical trumpet, so <laughs> so maybe not. not really, yeah. But I think it sent me into the city, and I think the ability to go into the city from Queens at 14 years old, taking the train by yourself, discovering all the different neighborhoods because everyone goes to Guardia. It's not just it's not a zoned school, so everyone from all over the city. So that gave me an incredibly diverse pool of people to to get to know. That gave me, I think, it did give me a, an element of street smarts, how to figure out New York City at such a young age. Yeah. And then in college, you studied journalism and women's studies. Mm-hmm. What what made you choose those two things? 
I loved writing and I didn't want to be like a creative writing major because I, I maybe wanted to be out there a little bit more. I was a really bad journalist though. <laughs> and women's studies because I I took one class and I noticed that it didn't just teach you about women. It taught you about everything. A- any kind of injustice or inequality is, is taught through women's studies. So it, so I actually learned the most about about politics, about social justice, about everything through women's studies. Yeah. After the break, Aquafina talks about hosting SNL, her favorite beauty products, and odorophobia. Yeah, you'll want to know what that means. More in a minute. You all know I love Ulta Beauty. For one, I think we have a lot in common as brands, since we both celebrate the beauty in every person and believe beauty is limitless. I live in the suburbs, so I love going to the stores out there, which are enormous. You can find almost anything in makeup, fragrance, hair care, and skincare. They have over 20,000 products. And have you been to the New York City store? Oh my God, it is amazing. It's just light and bright and has such a good, fun vibe because Ulta Beauty knows you aren't there to get beautiful. You're there because you already are. Visit Ulta.com to learn more and to find a store near you. Ulta Beauty, the possibilities are beautiful. Welcome back to the Allure podcast. Our conversation with Aquafina continues. So Aquafina, we were just talking about your college major in journalism and women's studies. So what did you want to do after college? Did you think you were going to graduate and then you'd go and work for like a newspaper or a magazine or a website? I thought I would be an intrepid journalist. I really did. But I was so bad at my job. Like I barely, I, I was at a cubicle with all these, I, I had this internship at this like this awesome paper upstate called the Times Union. And I remember like being so scared to make calls because everyone could hear my business and I didn't want anyone to hear my business. I was like a weird, <laughs> shy, I was, I did not have the journalist bug at all. So, yeah. So funny. I'm really bad on the phone too. I, I wonder if like that's it. like, yeah. But you got a huge corner office, girl. You don't need to be bad on the phone. <laughs> I have a thing of not wanting people to hear me on the phone for some reason. I don't reason. like that. Yeah. It's like, but I'm also very pee shy. Like I will drive 20 miles to go home to pee. Oh, wait. So do you love Japan and their fancy toilets then? I've that... never been, but Wait, yes. really? Oh my gosh, you have to go. Yeah, I have odorophobia and I'm pee shy. So do you know, <laughs> they, they have odorophobia in Japan. What's that? It's when women have this unrealistic belief that they just don't want to emit any kind of, whether it's like their perfume or like anything. Oh, I've never heard of that before. But they never smell because they take care of it so much. Oh, yeah. oh, odorophobia. Interesting. It's a really Asian, it's an Asian <laughs> thing. Okay, but a you, lot had, of people in Japan. you had to go to Japan. I just spent two weeks there oh my God. in Tokyo this summer. Did you summer. go to the toilet restaurant? I didn't go to the toilet restaurant, although my kids probably would have loved it, but they have these amazing toilets where it's like they're super fancy and high tech. Oh and my it's God. Like a big part of it is that for people who don't want anyone hearing the I'm pee shy. <laughs> I am pee shy. I am like, I wouldn't even be able to pee. I would have to go home. I have to drive. I would have to fly 150 miles to my home in Koreatown. So. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> I'd fly 150 miles, even though it's just there. Yeah. And we, we got so many beverages today. <laughs> oh no. I really, no, I, got, I really got to pee, but I'm pee shy. Yeah. Okay. So we talked a little bit about Lucy Liu and SNL. Can you just talk a little bit more about what that meant to you? I don't even know how it works. Like, how does it work? Do you get a phone call from mm-hmm. SNL and they say, hey, we want you to host? Or like, how does that Well, not happen? from SNL. I don't SNL is <laughs> this giant phone bag and just calling people. <laughs> no, I, I heard I was on the plane and my publicist was like, I have to talk, I have to talk to you, but I can't do it over the over text. And I was like, oh my God, like what did I do? Like, you know, like did I like what did I do? He called me and and was like, guess what? And I was like, 
I'm fired. So I, I, I don't even know from what, because he's my publicist. So what would he be? And then he was like, you're going to host SNL. And I was like, what? Like, I just, I couldn't believe it. I could not believe it. First thing I thought of was was that Lucy Liu episode. I was obsessed with, with SNL. I loved like the, the Molly Shannon and, and Sherry O'Terry era. And Lucy Liu hosted, I think around then 2000. And I remember that so clearly because I begged my dad to take me to 30 Rock just to stand out there. And then we recorded it back home. I didn't get to go in or anything and meet her. When we got home, we had the recording and I just watched it and I, I just thought of that. Yeah. So it was such a momentous occasion. I mean, SNL is huge, especially as a New Yorker too, you know, it was right at home. And yeah, I mean, I still can't believe it. I still can't believe that happened. Did you realize at the time that your publicist told you about it, that you were going to be the first Asian woman to do it since Lucy Liu? No, or it that wasn't, wasn't like even later. mentioned, but that's, but I just thought, because that was my, that was a huge thing for me when she hosted it. It was so big for me. So I, I just, I remember that and I just thought about how, how crazy that is. Yeah. So again, like all of that kind of made me think about Lucy Liu and how much, honestly, like I feel like people have been sort of like sleeping on her a little <laughs> bit. Just she is such yeah, a pioneer. Have you met her? No, we haven't met. She wrote me like a very sweet message and she was she was so lovely after after SNL and and I was of course like extremely like like starstruck by her. You know, <laughs> she's she's you know, she's Lucy Liu. You can't mess with that. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about Ocean's Eight. Yeah. What an awesome cast. What was that experience like and what was your takeaway from working with all those awesome women? My takeaway is that it was literally a family. They embraced me to a point where I believed that I was their equal. They were all so lovely to me and we continue to have a lot of fun together. We, we that group that group chat is still alive. And again, I think that every opportunity that's ever happened to me, including SNL, including Crazy Rich Agents and Ocean's Eight, it's just like a really, you know, it's just like it's too crazy to believe. Ocean's Eight was too crazy to believe. Yeah. <laughs> What's some advice you would give to a young person of color just starting out in entertainment now? Stand out, stand out, be bold, take risks. Those that's very like generic advice, but for me, it was exactly I think what people found wrong with me, but also what helped me stand out. All of the channels, SoundCloud, YouTube, everything is is so oversaturated right now with talent that if you don't stand out, if you're not doing something different, it might not work. But I also think that it's really easy to be made to feel like you need to fit in with everybody else and do what everyone else is doing, have the same sound, have the same look. And it's it's actually very difficult to be confidently and authentically yourself without any regrets. So that is the hardest thing, but it, it's what works. After anything, if it does work, if it doesn't work, if you say that you were yourself that whole time, you'll have you'll never have any one regret. So, you know, I, I think that you have to be bold. It's really good advice. Yeah. Okay. So since this is the Allure podcast, mm -hmm. we have to talk about beauty Let's do a little it. bit. Okay. Yeah. So how did you first learn about makeup and skincare? Must have been after I started making more than $8 an hour because it's not easy. It's not not very affordable. But I remember like like my grandma would, would put on like cold cream. Oh, my mom too. Yes. yes. But yeah, she would use the cold cream. And I always wondered like what the point of that was. And I have really dry skin. So I started moisturizing, but I use like, like, you know, like drugstore brands. And then I remember my aunt, my aunt Linda, she you, she's like a, she's one of those girls that goes to Shiseido and just spends all of her money and and then regrets it later. But she gave me a Clarins and she was like, just use this. And it was amazing. So ever since then, it's like if you use it once, you can't go back. And then skincare, like now I get I get some like I get hooked up with like some free stuff. Oh, once I'm in a sure. While, occasionally. <laughs> it really does work. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. But it's dangerous, though, because once you start, you can't stop, you know? I know. 
Makeup wise, as a teenager, were you mm. starting to experiment with makeup or when did you get into makeup? Only eyeliner and only under eye. So I just looked like a crazy person the entire time. I thought that I was like the queen of the world with under eye eyeliner. I was like, I can go and take your mans right now, dude. I'm hot. <laughs> Let's be honest. I'm hot. It would be uneven. And one time I used a pen because I ran out and I was so addicted to it. And that was a mistake. I just had to run my eye because for thinking of that. Used a pen. Loved, I love makeup, but I never really wore it. I, I don't, I, to this day, I don't really know how to do it. Do you freehand draw your eyebrows? It's practice. It's a lot of practice. How do you just m- impromptu an eyebrow up there? I <laughs> can do that. Well, my problem, you have good natural brows. For me, I have 90s brows, which was- What does that mean? It means you over plucked them. So my actual like real brows are like shaped very weirdly. Like they're a little bit Ronald McDonald arches and they just are like sparse. They're beautiful. I mean, your eyebrows are- Why, thank they're, you. They're gorgeous. It's all smoke and mirrors. Okay. Yeah, it takes it takes a little practice. Yeah, because do. I just made two upside down V's. <laughs> and and then I looked at everyone's like, well, you got to fill it in. It's like, you got to fill it in. And then you fill it in and <laughs> it just looks ridiculous. You ever try, <laughs> you ever fill in way too much up here? Oh, yes. It's, very, it's very Groucho Marx. And, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then one time I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a diva and I'm going to make that end and I'm going to drag it on out. <laughs> and I dragged it out so far. It's like touching your ear. I just did a whole handlebar. <laughs> just a whole handlebar that met at my eyebrows. <laughs> I'm so bad. I cannot. I can't do it. Man. Do you like getting your makeup done for like shoots and stuff? I don't like sitting there. I mean, I love my makeup artists and I love feeling made up for an event because I was like, well, you know, that that's great. Yeah, I do. I'd rather do that than I can't do it myself. It's too much pressure <laughs> to freehand draw an eyebrow on so, your face. So morning routine is pretty easy. Like, will you do a short little skincare routine in the morning? You do skincare in the morning? Yes. Well, I... Oh, girl, what does that mean? <laughs> what do you mean you do skincare in the morning? <laughs> but when do you do what? skincare? <laughs> at night. <laughs> at night? You don't do it at night? I do it at night, too. I'm missing out, man. <laughs> See, this is why I got to talk. This is why I'm here talking with Allure right now. I got to learn. So tell me about this morning skincare routine <laughs> or whatever you call it. Well, my mine is extreme because I'm fully on like the Korean 10 step routine where it's 10 steps in the morning, 10 steps at night. Oh, hell it's a no, lot. I don't do that. <laughs> the 10 steps in the morning. I barely walk 10 steps in the morning <laughs> to the bathroom. This is my morning skincare routine. I wake up and pee and then leave. That's that's what I do. <laughs> that's what I do. But wait, wait so what do you do? Oh, uh, it's ex- so many. An expo? An expo, like an exfoliation? Yeah. Some mornings, some mornings. I just discovered what that is. Wait, do you know Essence? No. Okay. The magazine? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you so much stuff. Send me some send you so much stuff. I would stuff. love. <laughs> I would love it. Yeah, please. I'm going to send you a full Korean 10 steps. Yeah, Korean skincare. I just don't want to buy. I don't feel comfortable buying a mask with a polar bear eating ice cream on it. I just don't. <laughs> I don't understand what that's going to do. Like a frog <laughs> on a seesaw. Like, I don't know. What's that going to do for my face? It's so it's cute, but what's it going to do? It cutifies. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, it cutifies. Are there three products that you can't live without? Let's see. A moisturizer, right? Because I have really dry skin. A kind of oil. Do you put on face oil, oil mm-hmm. at all? I have very dry skin also. Okay. I yeah. use canola. So, and then I'll do, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll, I really like a toothbrush, <laughs> you know? Very, very important. Yeah, thanks. Very important. Thank you. So Hollywood is a very image conscious business, obviously. Mm-hmm. Have you ever felt the pressure to look a certain way? 
we were doing this whole entire podcast with my top pant button <laughs> undone, so clearly not. <laughs> I don't at all. Yeah, sure, that exists. I think where people may take it wrong is that the the pressure of looking good should only promote you to be healthy. So where I don't subscribe to it is when it starts to become like, don't eat anything, go get all this stuff done. I think that for me, I need to be healthy first because I think the worst thing for me is just being really unhealthy. So I think if anything, the pressures of Hollywood just cause me to like eat better, to like sleep more, you know, like stuff like that. But I'm yeah. not on any diets or anything, but I eat better. Yeah. Those are all good things. Like yeah. if it's promoting health. Mm -hmm. What do you do for self-care and relaxation? I don't know. Do massages help you? They help me for sure. Yeah. Why'd your voice go up so high? Because I was like, I was thinking about a massage and it made me instantly <laughs> like, oh, I would love a massage. <laughs> I love massages, but I don't feel like they're doing anything for really? me. Really? Yeah. I just feel like I'm just, it's just like a luxury. Yeah. I don't feel like. Do you meditate or anything? No. Why don't you do that? I feel like it's a very LA thing. <laughs> now, that, now that you live here, you need to meditate. Yeah, I'll do it while I'm driving. Yeah. So wait, I read, and I don't know if this was true, uh -oh. that you are into slime. I Was am. it true? Yes. Because I will say I went down this rabbit hole of an ASMR hashtag uh -huh. satisfying slime. Mm -hmm. sure. And because like my daughter's into it also. Is it a thing for real? Yes. Yes. I'm, I'm so into it. It's so addictive for me. Making it or just watching videos? Making it. Making really? it and then selling it so on the internet. So you do um, like the whole, isn't it glue? And So like yeah, so a lot of people, when you do a white glue, like a normal Elmer school glue, it turns the slime really thick. So the Instagram slimes, a lot of people like the clear slime. So that's clear glue, obviously. And then you can buy, and then a, a borax is the key ingredient. He makes borax. Does your daughter make it too? She doesn't make it, but we actually went to a slime event. What? And yes, they, they had a slime yeah, event in our town. Bite me. Yeah, it was like, uh, what was it called? It was called Slime Circus. So they had Slime Circus oh and God, it was all these circus. kids and it was all these vendors selling their slime. But then there was also ones oh where you God. could make slime. Oh so I was God. like, I this is burped. fascinating. <laughs> I just burped because you told me about Slime Circus and I love it. <laughs> oh my God, I would run away and join the Slime Circus. Oh my God. <laughs> Sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's amazing. Yes. But I, I learned way more about slime than I ever thought I would. <laughs> you ever needed to know. Yeah. So moving on from slime. <laughs> when you look into your future, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, man. I don't know. I don't know. That's the scary thing about this job. You know, I think you really pay for it with job secure with security. You know, I think that's the thing. You don't know, but I don't think I ever knew, you know, yeah. ever since like, I started. Do you have aspirations of a lot of actors then say, in five or 10 years, I want to start learning how to direct or I want to write my own movies or I want to do things like that. Do you have other goals beyond? I think instead of directing or writing, I want to be in a place at a certain point where I can give directors and, and writers opportunities. I, I've never studied it before. And so I don't want to take up space. You know, it's obviously something I've thought about, but I want to be in a position to, to give to give people a platform. Yeah. So hopefully, I don't know how to go about that, but hopefully I'll be doing something like that in 10 years or working at an insurance company or something. So <laughs> it's possible. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. Thanks. All right. Well, I'm going to send you the Korean 10 stuff oh skincare God, and send you some slime. Please do. Send me slime. <laughs> I'm so excited. <laughs> oh, my God. I'm down. I love you, Michelle. All right. Love you. Thanks for having me. All right. Bye. All right. Bye. I hope you enjoyed our talk with Aquafina about her career, her muses, and her relationship to beauty and Asian American identity. For more interesting conversations on all things beauty and beyond, subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app 
or visit allure.com forward slash the Allure podcast. The Allure podcast hosted by me, Michelle Lee, produced by Allure is part of the Condé Nast Media Group. Yeah.